0: Note before jumping into today's podcast, the Flip Learning Network is a non-profit and we are always looking for support from our community. There are many options to support us. Please ask us on social media or check out our page at fliplearning.org/supportfln. We have a Patreon set up, we can accept donations via PayPal, we have an Amazon affiliate link, and some other options through sponsorship links on the website. So, uh, today we have another episode of Ask the Flip Learning Network podcast. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of having a conversation with Bonnie Stahoviak. Sorry, I got that right, Bonnie. Um, <laughs> I've listened to it so many times and I have a Ukrainian background, so I'm used to the, to the, to the name. And actually, when I, when I listened to your name again today, I, I was about to say it, Bonnie Stahoviak, just like you do on the podcast where you have a pause between your name and your last name. It's great to have you here. I thank you so much for taking time. You are an inspiration to me with all of your work with your podcast. I was starting to listen to episode 262 of the Teaching in Higher Education podcast today. And um, it's, wow, it doesn't seem that long ago that what was in the double digits, Bonnie. It's uh,
1: It's been nice a long ride. <laughs> Five years in June of 2019. So it started in June of 2014.
0: I remember. I remember the first episode. I didn't. I didn't listen right away, but I listened late in June or late in that year. So um, it's it's good to it's good to have you here. So um, why don't you give uh, our listeners a little bit more background on what you do, Bonnie?
1: I am primarily these days in faculty development, so I'm the director of our Institute for Faculty Development, and that's a fairly new part of my career, just the last couple of years, but I feel like it's an interesting bookend is maybe the wrong word, <laughs> middle, middle chapter, I hope, <laughs> because early in my career I was in franchising so I used to be responsible for when someone would buy a new business getting them up to speed and whether it was teaching is an education company. So to teach and how do we sell marketing, accounting, the whole bit. And so this kind of an interesting sort of revisiting. There are a lot of parallels between what was would often be referred to as corporate training and some of the things of development. Although one would only hope I have a much more critical lens on my practice today <laughs> than I would have back in my 20s only hope.
0: Well, it's always fun to look back at where we came from. Um, I was I was noticing on your bio on on the website talking about the name Bonnie 208 and the room 208 and mm-hmm. how you always knew you wanted to be a teacher um, and and you didn't it wasn't your original path I know you talked about that a bit on some episodes of your podcast as well
1: yeah, if anybody's ever list interested in sort of the background of that, I did episode two hundred eight. We figured my husband and I figured we got one shot. <laughs> <laughs> you have one shot to talk about why this number has become such a, a an affectionate number. I have had some conversations with Alan Levine before because, of course, his big yep. number that he loves is one hundred six DS one hundred six fame, and it's. I, I haven't told him this yet because he told. At some point, there was something that was too early. Like you start seeing the number that yes. you like everywhere you look. And yeah. right now, the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast it has its own Twitter account. My the one my personal one's used much more frequently, but I'll sometimes mm-hmm. retweet on the Teaching in Higher Ed. And it ha- I have followed two hundred and eight people. <laughs> and I can't Why? like, I can't let myself follow more. <laughs> oh, I know he would be shaking his head, going, "No, no, you don't take it that far, Bonnie. You step <laughs> it back and follow some people." But <laughs> so this, far,
0: this is an exclusive. Back. Or if someone's count disappears, you'll be dropping down to two o seven, and then you'll have to go find someone else to make it two o eight again.
1: I wanted to make a quick mention because you were talking about it wasn't the path that I had anticipated. And that's the understatement of the world. And so much of my writing and reflection and speaking lately has been around what I could best describe as deficiencies in our own imagination. And we talk a lot in higher ed about you know, we didn't get the grant, or we don't have enough funding to do the thing to do, or commonly, faculty that I work with, you know, it's easy to say, we don't have enough time, you know, I'd love to read that book, Mm -hmm. or I'd love to go to that workshop, the conference, time, I don't think we talk enough about our incapacity for imagination. And I think about my very, very new, 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 new work in open education, I can remember actually meeting you in person for the first Mm time. I don't was it a year ago or was it two years ago? Two years ago, it would
0: be in Anaheim at the open ed when we were yes. close to you.
1: And and that entire two or three days was an entire thing of me feeling so overwhelmed by Mm -hmm. what people were doing. But I would just always think at first, oh, but I could never do that. Or we couldn't do that here. Or there's some unique reason why we're different. And it could be back to not enough time or not enough money. You know, these institutions are so much bigger than we are. Or they're, you know, people so much more experts than I have. And you realize, actually, you you can't always go to scale. Mm -hmm. But I have yet to find anything that I've heard about in the open education movement that can't be scaled down if I have the capacity for imagination. And sometimes that comes to just asking more questions and trying to figure out a way to experiment and be playful with it.
0: Right. No, I think, I think the confidence thing of bringing it to your own space is so important. I, I remember that day, Bonnie, and I remember listening to you talking about um, how I introduced you to Robin
1: <laughs> at, the, at the
0: conference. And you were saying that Ken Bauer, he just, I said, no, 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 no. Again, don't, don't, don't. And I did. Um, And, and I'm sorry. The I'm words, sorry for that. But, the words that I uh, I'm used so glad for, I did. I'm
1: not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> <I know. laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> but I,
0: I, I knew that, that it was a good thing for you to connect with Robin because she does such great work and, and you do as well. And I, I think that that's me going overboard to my role of being a connector. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I remember speaking with you sometimes about how the open community was more of a new thing to you. Um, but I think when we get deeper into it, it's not really that complicated. It's not really that new, even a lot of these practices, we just already do. Um, and I was going to ask you that I've seen some posts lately about confidence in, in teaching and how to build confidence in teaching and, and, and our colleagues and, um, how, how would you go about giving a new educator confidence in, in finding their own voice in their teaching?
1: There's two broad areas that I would suggest. The first one is to not, is to, well, the first one is to give up. <laughs> so let's give up trying to have confidence in ourselves because it's just fraught with peril. So there, many of our disciplines, I mean, I don't know any discipline that doesn't just reinforce criticism. Like the whole thing was just built upon tearing down other people's work and finding all of its flaws. And any of us that have ever gone through anything like Premier, um, we might have some scars. I don't know anyone who doesn't have at least some scars around something like that. One thing that has been useful to me is just to think about, well, no, that's That's just how it's designed. It's not meant to be personal, although it feels personal, but but that's just what's been reinforced. And so to give up on trying to have confidence in an arena that is built to tear it down, let's instead have confidence in the work, in the value of the work, the importance of the work. And I think particularly, I think back to, I got to talk to a couple of people who are physicists and they have a wonderful curriculum. This is one of the Cal State University locations and I can find it if you want to get it for your show notes. It's I can't remember it's it's in the Bay Area, but I'm Mm having trouble remembering exactly which one. But they have partnered with a nonprofit that makes what are called solar suitcases. Okay. And so they can go and they can teach students how circuits work. And this is the this is the crazy part to me, because you can literally see the light bulb going on with your students like you literally know Mm -hmm. that they have mastered that particular thing when the light bulb literally goes on in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And then they take it out. Part of what the students do is they plan a visit to whether it's an city or whether it's somewhere in another country that has is experiencing energy poverty. And they're able to take what they've in the classroom and they're able to literally transform a community. She had the most powerful story about a hospital that had no electricity and then what it was like once the solar suitcases were brought in. So what I specifically remember about this, the dean and then also the woman professor who came to speak on the podcast is they said for the young women, this was the difference maker Right. for the young women. It wasn't about all the money they were going to make, or the expertise they were going to acquire, the power that they were going to gain from knowing this. It was about service. Yeah. And there was a young woman who she said that had never realized that she could be helpful in these ways. And so I think for those of us who who it's hard to be confident to start with, don't try to be confident with yourself, especially in an arena where it's hard to do that. Let's continually remind ourselves why what we're doing is important. Right. And that will give us better armor for whatever we might encounter. So that's one thing. That's kind of nebulous though, like okay, great. <laughs> like <laughs> We might have had habits that have grown that even if our mindset were to begin to evolve, and we don't just wake up one day and decide that we're confident. Mm-hmm. But but even if we were to transform our minds, sometimes we need to go back and look at our behavior. One of the things I notice is many faculty early in a class will be apologizing for things. The most common thing is, oh, I can't get this PowerPoint to work, and I can't get the projector to work, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just want to mm-hmm. have to wait a few minutes. And it's like, First of all, you're wasting the time yeah. they came there to learn. If you're having problems, have a backup plan. So we don't have to start out our first impression of I'm sorry. And oh, by the way, I can't get the stuff to work. <laughs> so for me, it's been actually apologizing less and just being silent more. They don't need to know that I'm fiddling with it. Mm-hmm. Just, just fiddle. Don't, don't make any announcements or pronouncements. So apologizing less. Another thing is the way we ask questions. Oh does anybody does everybody understand that? Do you, do you have any questions? Anyone wondering about this? That's a very non-confident way of saying. Right. Who here has the first question? Excellent. And then we stop <laughs> and we wait. Right. And in that pause it becomes very uncomfortable. It might be uncomfortable for you, but it's actually tremendously uncomfortable for right. our learners. And they'll start to say, hmm, I could fill this gap if I actually answered your question or or asked that first thing. And you'll find you get a lot more participation than that you actually.
0: That's an excellent answer. It's an excellent. I think that was, I think, didn't Zoe Wood mention that on her episode? I think recently it might've been. I remember listening to that about the solar suitcase on, I think it was in your podcast, but I think it's also on CBC Spark. It's an excellent program. And I like that you talk about how we're not just interested in what we're doing for the financial gain or the fame. It's about it's about finding a service or finding something we can do to contribute to make it a better society. And I think it's really, it's really really easy to, to say from a position of privilege <laughs> myself to say that that's why we should be doing these things or that's why we should be you know, making a podcast where I'm not being paid to make a podcast and just share what we're thinking about to other educators. But I think as a society, we need to think a lot more about why we're doing what we're doing.
1: You are correct that Zoe Wood, she has done work promoting women in STEM. So it yeah. did come up in that episode. But the one That's I just found it, it's, yeah, Karina Garbisi and Eric Helgren from California State University East okay. Bay which is part of our Bay Area. And they're the ones who talked so, so wonderfully. And then another person will be Brian Dewsbury. He came on and talked about teaching STEM as an act of social justice. And he this is another mind bending episode where I just realized that all any science or math class I had ever had in my entire lifetime, I have never heard of that mm-hmm. as something that you do. I mean, it's to them, it probably seems so obvious, but I just think that can't have all gotten fixed. Like somehow I graduated from all of, you know, <laughs> things I've ever done, and now everything's going right. No, It's probably still there. And mm-hmm. you know, just us all needing to up our game in terms of making those connections, because today's students, whether they're 58, 68, come to school, they all want to have a sense that what they're learning.
0: So. So taking that, Bonnie, about having students thinking that they can have an impact and building on, because Zoe shared a lot about that on that episode, um, uh, there was the submarine that was finding a buried <laughs> pipe. It was awesome. You got to go back and listen to that episode. And and you can search Bonnie's archives. It's really great. I'm sure that's what she just did right now to <laughs> dig <Dale. laughs> up. She needed that answer. I know. Uh, it's funny. You listen to so many podcasts and you think you know a person and they might not know you at all. Um, how... How can we model that ourselves about having an impact with our work, but also give space for a student? And that can bring us around a little bit into open education and open educational um, practices of getting our students to share the work that they're doing to actually have a active change with their work and not just one of those throwaway assignments as we sometimes call them.
1: When I first started teaching at the doctoral level, I can't remember how many years I made this mistake, but let's just say I didn't figure it out the first time I taught this class. But I did. I did eventually weigh the textbook for this class, and I think that was part. Of, I mean, that it was a. By the way, the class is a technology class, mm-hmm. and as you mentioned in one of your recent episodes, I think they're cross promotion. with scary that hour long
0: episode! Oh my goodness.
1: But that I mean, in the field that I was teaching in, and in the field that you teach in, there's so much. You know current events that you can, pre- that's a that's a pretty low hanging fruit to make a change like that. But one of the things I wanted them to do was to learn how to create a blog and understand, you know, some mm-hmm. some simple things around what's a page, what's a post, these kinds of things, learn a little bit about WordPress since it's so prolific. Mm-hmm. So I would have them, at first they would write blogs on the textbook and then I get rid of the textbook. And then so they're still going to write blogs on technology. And we just, it just felt like I was Mm-hmm. So much of the time, and then I suddenly realized, you can still have them accomplish all the learning objectives, but allow them to create their little space on the web that is personal to them. Right. And one of, the, one of the best examples I ever had, oh gosh, I forget, she built an entire blog around her dog. It was a rescue dog, and the dog was like Dr. Something, and it was, <laughs> it was priceless. Uh- I couldn't, every any, and she was one of the best bloggers I've seen, and I could not wait to read a post. When Dr. Ah, it's going to drive me crazy, speaking of being able to search for things. (laughs) Lizzie, Dr. Lizzie. (laughs) But it's just transformation. So we can, you know, open education, we can make mistakes, but ultimately aren't allowing them to express their own dreams, their own ideas. And it can be a serious one, by the way, many of them are aspiring uh, administrators in K through 12. So for them having some kind of online presence is a really big deal. Now, most of the people I work with are afraid Right. Of putting themselves online, and I do not fight that. I don't force it. So if you have a blog that is completely anonymous, your name never shows up. That's great. You're still going to be able to accomplish learning outcomes. But hey, if you're aspiring trader, yeah, and you have absolutely no evidence of you existing online, well, that you're kind could of be. Going to be a
0: public face.
1: <laughs> it could be one of those things that could really cause a search committee to want to speak to you more if you have curiosity, and they could actually find some things out. But you had more control over it because it's your domain,
0: right? Right, getting back to domains, I'd like. We should go to that conference sometime.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Now it reminds me of. Um, actually, I just was saying congratulations to a student of mine, Edith, who graduated. She, she went. She was my student for a year, and then she moved to Victoria, British Columbia, where I'm from, and was studying at a college there, Camosun College. And I saw her posts on, I guess it was Instagram, and I said, Oh, you're in my hometown. You got to go check out this. And I had this idea that she was just there for a semester or something on an exchange, but then she just never came back and she just graduated actually. And I said, thank you for, for having the the time to be my student. I remember her and her, her classmate spending so much time customizing their WordPress because they just wanted it to be them. And, and actually she commented that on, on, on the comment I just had with her on, on a post about congratulating. So I like, that WordPress gives our students that ability to make it theirs and make it personal um, and and get excited about what they're writing. And and I, and I had that same feeling that I'd get, get excited about when that, that post is coming in from one of those students. Not that I don't appreciate all of their posts, but there are certain ones that you know that it's going to be funny or it's going to really tell a story. I had this one student who would write, she wrote poetry and short stories about computing science, and it just blew mm. <laughs> Mind, Maria Fernanda um, or they would have uh, a session I work I do work with virtually connecting and that's how I met Bonnie um, where I shared in one of our private slack channels that my students were blogging and if you get a chance go check this out and Gardner Campbell went and put a comment on this this young woman's post and she was so excited and she came and talked to me about it because someone saw what she wrote and and she knew this was an important person
1: yeah yeah it's amazing it really right. is- One of the things that's been coming up lately are conversations around scaffolding. And for anyone that hasn't heard of scaffolding before, it's the, I hear the term more in K through 12 than I do in higher education. but just this idea of building little bridges to take people that final destination. And there's a lot of disagreement and right. Jesse Stommel recently wrote a bunch of tweets about yes. in fact I think maybe he even gave an entire keynote. I, I think the keynote he broke down into a series of tweets. But just you know he thinks we should tear it all down and mm-hmm. you know let, let people experience that <laughs> that discomfort. But also just this idea that if we build up those supports that we've predicted in advance, the kinds of supports that students will need and that maybe they want to go in another direction. I'm not entirely ready to say Mm-hmm. That given, I mean, I'm thinking specifically about both the undergraduate to do as well work that my experience, I, I've got to have something there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of WordPress, you know, I've, I've got to have kind of an end thing and I, I need to yeah. anticipate in advance, but also leave room for people wanting to take the work a little bit further. Yes. But I also will say one other just quick thing in terms of, of WordPress, I want to be good. At doing the scaffolding but my goodness does stuff change and then oh, they yeah. get too locked into that i'm going to be their answer to all questions and well my screen doesn't look like that well that i was thinking about embedding <laughs> videos i used to always tell people make sure you uncheck the recommend videos at the end because it actually recommends videos not based on the person yeah, not, who posted not, the video but it's on the good stuff the, it's on the student's computer but they think it's you who's recommending yes. those videos and now youtube doesn't let you do that anymore yeah but you have to go into the html and you actually there's like a work around to sort of fix part of that but but every time it's like things change so fast if you're going to be the go-to for all things whatever it is right. um, that's tech support be a pretty, bonnie pretty rough road so it's I, don't, I haven't figured it out yet but i do think we should reflect on scaffolding be willing to think critically about our own practice and then you know push back when you think i don't know i think i need a little more scaffolding than you might think i need <laughs> yeah I, I saw those
0: posts from jesse and i've been struggling so much going back and forth from Ultra flexible I don't want to guide them too much to finding that some students needed more and, and I like what Matt Croslin said on his um, episode with Terry Green speaking of Terry's podcast a get in air podcast about having a course designed so that some students had all of the flexibility they wanted and some students had more scaffolding and more structure and Terry in his typical answer say where's that button on my keyboard where I can make design <laughs> go into my episode and it's hard it's really hard and i had the the luxury of speaking with both um sean michael morris and jesse the other week in different uh recordings and we we talked a little bit about that because it's a struggle i i i can never find the right balance i don't think i ever will i don't think i ever will um we're getting closer to time bonnie um what else what else are you Thinking of new for this this summer period. It's coming into the next semester.
1: Oh, it's it's funny that you should mention that. So <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this part. I have been still wanting to play around digital badges. Speaking of things that people either are strongly for or against, but. I've had a few people on the podcast talk about digital badges before, and I remember one person specifically from University of Georgia talked about that. It's Nick, and I can't remember Nick's last name. Mm-hmm. But but sorry, Nick, random. If you have those people, right. we can't
0: remember everything, Bonnie. <laughs>
1: we should just be proud of me. I got to their name anyway. The. Um, when he came on to talk about gamification a little bit, he's like, you don't, you don't want to do badges that are just based on completing things. Because right. if you just do a badge that's based on completing something, that's the same thing as what your grade book does, you know, right. the, that there's going to be points associated. You're not really doing mm-hmm. And so one of the things I'm still battling with is just that I, I yearn for more self discovery, for even more agency. And I think badges could be one way of doing that. But my goodness, do I just, I try to make badges be too linear. And so I'm trying to increase my in that. I'd love to have some course I could go take or, you know, just to go poke around in that actually did badges well. That would be something that would be fun. So that's something I'm noodling around with a little bit. And also just what, what we were just talking about, I'll be, I, I took our faculty what they used to call the new faculty orientation. I now have rebranded it and it's a week long instead of day long. Imagine that a week long. Uh, It's going to be about half day sessions, but even adding an entire week, I'm only skimming the surface. So Mm -hmm. you're making me think through this conversation, I need to continue the quest of just self-discovery. You know, there's a menu of things up there. Some things that we would want to hold in common. I'm so excited because because Hypothesis is an annotation tool. I know you know this, Ken, but in case people listen no, no, don't no. know this. Share. So Hypothesis is going to allow me to put an article up. Somebody just told me about Saint Augustine having this incredible essay about the role of the teacher
0: mm-hmm. and
1: how we can't mold our students like clay. Instead, all we could do is point. Mm -hmm. And have this amazing video of him (laughs) sharing the power of this essay. And then I can put that essay right up there in our learning management system. And the new faculty will highlight things that Mm -hmm. stood out to them. Mm -hmm. They'll be able to make comments. They'll be able to ask questions. And what I love about this particular use of hypothesis, no one has to go set up user accounts. It's inside of our LMS. So there's not huge barriers. You got to be able to see this little button up there and click on it to expand the menu out. Yeah and click on a highlight or click on a no. I mean, it's just going to reduce all these barriers, but open up conversations conversation. So I mean, I've got lots to think about. And and I love how that
0: works start. with hypothesis built in. It's great. I, I i was working with an instructional designer this, uh, about a month ago uh, for our institution at the national level. And she, they just got so jazzed about hypothesis. It was amazing. And I was showing them that they were coming back. Our, our session fell apart and I was teaching them hypothesis. And then now they're the experts. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful. And I like that part where... There's less friction because, mm-hmm. yeah, it is a bit of a jump through this hoop and this hoop and this hoop. Oh, you're using Chrome, you're using Firefox. And it's a little bit different. But, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful tool for classrooms and it's a wonderful tool for collaborating on on any scale. It's great. As long as you can see it on the web somewhere, you can hypothesize it. The last Great. thing I'll
1: share is that this summer, a group of us from our institution will be attending. There's an organization called Escala Organizational mm-hmm. Services, and they are providing us, we're going to be earning our certificate in um, Hispanic-serving institutions, the teaching certificate. And a big part of that is going to their summer, in- and we're going to learn how to do an analysis of our DFW. So those are students who received a failure mm-hmm. grade or have withdrawn from a class. Okay. And being able to see where there is unconscious bias in some of our gateway classes. And I haven't quite mm. figured out exactly what I'll be analyzing. Right now, it seems really big. But um, because I don't teach full-time now, they suggested that I do it more at a program basis. But I know I learned so much. I actually got to attend a workshop that they did for our institution. I mean, these are tremendous educators. And talk about modeling Culturally responsive team. They, I, I know no better. They were incredible and I like, spend the weekend <laughs> being challenged in every which way by them. Yeah, that's
0: something. We love learning. It's never going to stop. It's <laughs> never going to stop. So, there's a couple of questions I usually ask at the end of the podcast. I actually just started this recently and and you motivated part of this because uh, Christian Friedrich sent a question to Terry <laughs> about the song. So, I won't ask that. I'll, I'll point people to the episode of Getting Air to, to get that. But how about you give me a teacher in your past that really inspired you?
1: Mr. Hansen was a high school teacher of mine. He was responsible for a peer counseling group. So we took it as a class, but then it also as a service that we did. And he really taught me to listen, how to be empathetic, how to suspend judgment, and how to really be there as a support for someone going through a difficult time. And that kind of went in my higher education experience. I remember te- taking a class on sociology and death, mm-hmm. and we heard from whose son killed, also taking another class on counseling bids. And the real big lesson that I draw over those years of learning that started with Mr. Hansen was that we can, there's nothing you can say to quote unquote, fix it. Right. Somebody loses a spouse, someone's received a diagnosis, whatever the challenges are that we're faced with, you cannot come alongside someone and fix it by something that you would say, so in some ways, it just right. takes the pressure off that the greatest gift that we can give is to be fully present for them and just allow them be how they are. Because so much of our society says we're supposed to be all better. You know, whether you bring in lame things that people say around their faith, you know, God, God will... Yeah. Whatever, whatever prescription, it ultimately comes down to a self need to stop feeling so unkind. Another mm-hmm. person's grief, and so yeah. that's a really big impact. And I, I treasure that. That I feel like it helps me show up better at work and friendships and kids and husband as well.
0: Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. And so, rather than the song, I, I had another backup <laughs> question for the two questions: Is recommend someone for for an educator to follow that you've maybe discovered recently, or someone that you think that that any educator could could follow to improve their practice. You've got so many on your podcast. So I'm not going to make it. someone someone that's recent that's come up.
1: Hmm. <laughs> someone recent. I well, can I'm- edit
0: all this out, Bonnie, so we're all right. Oh,
1: okay. I'm going to go to recent episodes okay, here we go. I'm going to go to 262. You either said you were about to listen. So that was an interview with Peggy Stevenson and her work is in criminal justice, specifically working to expunge people's records. Mm-hmm. And there's a few things I love about her story and what we could take away. One is that she was in the law for 20 years before she ever discovered this, this area to serve. Yep. And it came from just regularly listening and a nonprofit came to her. People in the nonprofit said, if you really want to serve people, here's what you mean instead. Can you imagine giving up two decades of your career and saying, hmm, actually, and I'm sure it didn't happen overnight. Right. But, but just that, that idea that we be open to ways in which our capacity for service can be evolving. Right. So I take that away from her story. The other thing that was marvelous is... So she is, to her knowledge, the only undergraduate program in the United States that does this. So undergraduate students going out to people that have something on their record that could possibly be expunged, having them tell their stories, and then these undergraduate students write them in first person. But they include the legal elements that need to be there. And then there's right. the feedback from the person. Yes, this tells my story. No, mm-hmm. this doesn't tell my story. Can you imagine any better way to improve an undergraduate student's writing cap- capability? Yeah. I mean, rather than the five-paragraph essay. We and this is not way. that throwaway <laughs> assignment. No, I've,
0: I've, I'm about halfway in, Bonnie. And oh. that was beautiful. And and I like how you tie it to the fact that we find a different way to do service. Because I could hear it in her voice. It was like, no, I can't do that. I don't. And then she thought about it yeah, that's something can do. And, and the fact that she gets her students in to do this is just awesome.
1: The other thing that she said that to me, I need to frame up on my wall. Because I said like, oh, but then how do you do that with like group projects? And then like, what, what about when it doesn't work? And she's like, oh, no, wait. Oh, I think I'm getting that episode mixed up with the last one. Sorry about my mixing <laughs> okay. my episodes. After but 262, Bonnie. I think it was 261. But just the fact that we mess up. No, it yeah. doesn't always go like she wants it to go. No, I mean it it's messy. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes People can make it look too easy, and then it's like, it was so nice to hear, like, "Oh, it messes up for her, not going as perfectly as no. it sounds." When you have a ninety-nine percent track record of success and thousands yeah. of people served, you know what? It's still messy. No, being-
0: oh, thank you, Bonnie. And No, I think it is two sixty-two, and everyone for the for the behind the scenes, Bonnie records the sessions much before they come out. So it's, it's having her memory. For me, I'm listening to this today. This just came yeah. out recently, but for Bonnie, she recorded it quite a while ago, just like this episode. will probably. Here in about six weeks because I've got I've managed to build up my queue which is something that Bonnie taught me about podcasting have a bunch in the pipeline so when something happens you've already got them you've got them out there well thank you so much for your time today Bonnie this has been wonderful I'm so I'm so glad and and happy that you give so much to our to our community and I'm I'm so happy to have run into you I, I can't even remember how it happened you you invited me to join your podcast and. I thought little old me joining your podcast, I was I was embarrassed, and and I'm glad I got to meet you in person, and I, I know we'll be staying in contact with a lot more over the will, years.
1: Will you be at Open Ed in Arizona this year? I
0: will be there.
1: I hope to see you there. Oh, that will I'm be wonderful. I'm
0: looking forward to it. I'm looking, I'm just forward, looking to
1: forward to the next time to see someone like you where I don't feel the nerves. Because you talk about sometimes giving people hugs at conferences like that. You know, that's something that we can't always do quite as well virtually. No. And so it's just nice where it's like, wow, I really do know you and the nerves are gone. It's just what a what a wonderful thing to get to have these conversations in person as well as like we're doing today via iPhones and all that good stuff.
0: And it'd be fun for you to go back because you, you were in that session in Anaheim and then you go back and there'd be a lot of people you you, you know and you've met online as well as in person that first time.
1: Yep, and I and my imagination will just be even more.
0: Your experience with the robin will be very different this time than it was <laughs> last.
1: Yes. I'm awesome. ready now. I'm ready. <laughs>
0: excellent. Well, thank you so much. I'll wrap up here for today and uh, have an excellent rest of the week, Bonnie.
1: Thanks you too, and thanks for having me on the show.
0: Cheers. The Flip Learning Network is the original online hub of the Flip Learning community. We are a not-for-profit organization whose mission includes providing access to a wealth of tools, resources, and professional development opportunities. We hope to help educators build on the possibilities inherent in FLIP Learning and to explore evolving student-centered instructional practices. We invite educators everywhere to explore the resources available at fliplearning.org and to contribute to the discussion through comments, questions, and by submitting your own posts. Indeed, the site is built on the contributions from flipped educators like yourself who write blog posts. We also encourage you to join us on Slack where we have an ongoing dialogue. More information on the site about that. You can help support the FLN by making your purchases through our Amazon.com affiliate link at fliplearningorg Amazon. Or you can support us directly on a monthly basis as a patron at Patreon. The short link for that is fliplearning.org slash patreon thank you